Hello and welcome to Under the Pages, a podcast created by four journalism students, where we are discussing the mistrust within journalism and how we feel about it getting into the industry. Hi, I'm Megan Smith and I'm your host for this episode where I'll be looking into misleading and clickbait headlines. With the rise of the internet and social media, journalists have attempted to keep with the flow through writing headlines which aren't always the whole truth. And therefore, it gives the public misinformation. Firstly, I have an interview with freelance journalist Mike Smith. So today I'm here with Mike Smith. He's a social media coordinator at Astute Media UK, as well as a freelance journalist with plenty of experience in the tech world. Uh, Mike, thank you for joining me today. Okay, (laughs) glad to be here. (laughs) It's great, thank you. You've been a big help. So obviously, before we get into your own experience of writing, I first wanted to ask you, as a consumer of media and articles, have you encountered any misleading headlines and what were they about? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, the the one that always springs to my mind, and it's quite a, a local story with that, is uh, a few years back when we had the massive uh, snowstorms that hit Birmingham. And what I found after that, after a couple of weeks of that happening, is that there was a, a constant stream of articles, I won't say the name of the publication, online where it's like the beast of the east two is coming and like and it's been on for like every day for about eight months and it's just like that's ridiculous because <laughs> there's no indication that that's happening you're simply doing you, you you've taken something which is an extraordinary kind of story and now you're just kind of trying to build up to this whole thing and scaremonger through the clickbait headlines when actually if you did a little bit of research and went to the meteorological um website you'd know that this isn't a thing that's going to happen and yet to kind of dine out on that for like eight months every day is is absolutely ridiculous no no that is that's completely ridiculous so it sounds like they're trying to keep um readers continue reading it to like warn them of something that's going to happen so on that kind of note why do you feel that news organization organizations now are using these clickbait headlines well, it's it's quite a complicated um, thing. I mean, you probably know from yourself, if you've sat in editorial meetings, it's just like when you sit down and you kind of think about the stories, it's about what do the audience want to read? What do they want to watch? What do they want to engage with? And that in itself is based in data. Um, and so you have these conversations, not necessarily what's the important news story, but what's the one that's going to generate the most traffic which then in turn generates ad revenue and so on and and you'll find that uh, a lot of interesting stories kind of get cut and put to the to the back burner as it were and I've had quite a few experiences where that's been the case where you pitch a story and you think well this is human interest this will be something that people are interested in but publications and news organizations aren't willing to take the risks because they have the data to back up their point of well, look, if we do this and we know it's had an impact based on the headlines and, you know, if you uh, are okay with Google, you'll know that you can track a customer journey on a, a on a website so you can see what people are clicking and doing. And news organisations have this data as well. So they'll always, always go with the thing that generates the biggest audience rather than the story that ne- necessarily needs to be told. 
Mm-hmm. So would you say that the internet, in a sense, has had a big um, impact on these sorts of headlines? Do you think that maybe it's made them more prevalent, shall we say, in media nowadays than it would have been beforehand? Oh, for sure. I mean, we're, we're all guilty of doing it. I mean, if you look at when you, you know, open Google Chrome on your phone, for example, uh, before you've even typed anything into the social, uh, the, the search bar, you'll you'll have recommended stories. And, and within that, you'll see clickbait headlines. I fall for it all the time with things like MCU stories and stuff like that, because <laughs> it knows my interests. Um, and it will it will deliver an article that's that's been clicked on loads of times. It know I'll interact. It knows I'll interact with it. So, yeah, I w- I would say in the past, certainly, you know, even going back as like five six years ago, where the internet is still main source of news and w- was emerging, clickbait stories tended to be kind of. You know, we knew they were there, but they weren't as prevalent as they are now, where it's literally everything seems to be uh, clickbait. Um, and, I, and I kind of get it in the sense of, you know, there's a need for competition and traditional news outlets trying to compete with online ones that are already established. But it, it does seem to be more rife than it ever has been. Um, and I think obviously some of that leads into the, the things that happen with QAnon and Trump and freedom of speech and expression and the the way that general attitudes have changed towards um, journalists, both professional and sort of citizen journalism as well. So, yeah, it's it's been interesting to see that change. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a good one. No, no, exactly. Because that was going to actually bring me on to my next question, which is about the mistrust it's causing in the public eye. How do you feel these headlines are affecting the public well i mean the fact that we even have a term like alternative facts now is it just shows you the impact it has i mean a fact is a fact it can't you can't have an alternative fact you can dispute the fact for for sure with data and science and so on but you can't have an alternative fact and yet when you look at some of the uh especially far-right kind of clickbait headlines and stuff that come through it's doing exactly that um it's it's providing all these things called alternative facts which you know again kind of you go back five six years ago these kind of headlines that you see now were at at that time were deemed so crazy that it just couldn't possibly be true and now people trust them Uh, and it's such a, a bizarre kind of thing to see unfold in front of your face especially when you see like I mean, we have conversations with it in our in our house where, you know, somebody will say, oh, I saw this on the news. And it's just like, where was the news out, outlet you saw it? And it's just like, I just saw it on Facebook or something like that. And it's just like, OK, but, you know, did you check the source? Did you fact check it? Did you do anything like that to to kind of see if it's worth, you know, it's trustworthy? Or did you just kind of read it and then start, you know, having conversations with people? And and so there is a knock-on effect when people read stuff like that. They will either talk about it online or talk about it in person. And that kind of, in itself, is it is its own kind of epidemic. Mm-hmm. It's actually, you know, it's surprising that you mentioned that because it has. We have come into a uh, society in a sense where we have to. Well, the readers themselves need to go do fact checking. When you would think maybe in a sense that the journalist outlets themselves should be bringing forth this wholehearted truthful facts 
but I suppose in the sense of how journalism has kind of developed people anyone in a sense can post articles and news it's just um, pinpricking through them which ones are the trustful sources and which ones aren't yeah no for sure and and there's so many layers to it I mean you just have to look at the recent COVID crisis in in a sense of you know the initial headlines were all about oh this is going to affect us all we're all going to catch it but actually the most dangerous thing that the the World Health Organization were concerned about wasn't necessarily the virus itself spread of it it was the misinformation that would cause people to not go and get vaccinated or seek treatment or you know, think it's a hoax. And now we kind of sit in this position where we see news articles coming out where it's just like an anti-vaxxer who's got COVID regrets, you know, having spread loads of things through groups and stuff and misinformation. But I think for journalism as a professional industry, I think part of the problem is is we're kind of so busy racing to adapt to the new technologies and online and seeing how traditional journalism would fit in the in in the new modern version is we've not been transparent about these things i mean you can literally hit people with facts over the head until you're blue in the face and people still won't believe it no matter how factually true it is and it's it's absolutely crazy <laughs> no no i 100 percent agree i think it's because a lot of um society and now it's a lot of second second guessing everything which we should because there's a lot of misinformation out there so things should be second guessed but sometimes I guess you could say that there's a sort of ignorance to certain things which means that people kind of blank out when you're like this is a truthful source that we this is like the site um they are that you can acknowledge that they do proper data and people are still like but are you sure about that yeah, yeah. It, 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 and I can imagine, in, you know, certainly for those that do the, the job nine to five or whatever the hours are these days, you, you can imagine it being so maddening when you get those kind of questions and the fact that people obviously, you know, now we don't just read a news story online, we interact with it and we comment on it and get involved. And, you know, if you've written that, it must be so frustrating. I, I've had it myself sometimes where I've written things. Um, certainly for clients on the marketing side of things, which I know obviously the point of that is to educate, inform and sell. But there is an honesty to that. But you still see the same sort of comments that you would see on a journalistic piece where it's just it, half the time it's not even relevant. It calls it into question. It doesn't take into account the facts. And it's just, yeah, I just feel like the reason, part of the reason for that is the the misunderstanding between the industry and the general public as a whole um, and I don't think we've as an industry certainly for, for journalism we've thought too much about how to fix that it's mm -hmm. more about how can we change the business model and get more revenue than it is about fixing the mistrust issues. So I just wanted to ask you from a point of view of a journalist um, going back on to misleading headlines a bit here um, would you have, so obviously a lot of times you mentioned that organisations maybe uh, would kind of, um, they're after stories that are mainstream in a sense, so these may have clickbaity headlines and things like that. What would you, what advice would you give a journalist that may feel they're being pressured into writing a headline which they think seems a bit misleading or a story that they think is a bit misleading? The honest answer is I don't even know if there is any sound advice for that because 
I guess it depends on your moral compass and your code of ethics. I mean, I would never say to somebody, don't necessarily write a headline because, you know, that could be the make or break story that gets them involved. So from a professional point of view, um, maybe going against it isn't necessarily a wise decision. But then I suppose the other side of that is that if you don't go against it and you kind of go with it, then you kind of become part of the problem rather than solution. So I think for me is the, the thing to understand is if you are producing a headline, is it clearly clickbait? If it is, then you've got to ponder that question of whether it's worth doing it. And, you know, if it's for financial gain, I think we'd all understand and sympathise with that a bit. Uh, if it's for, if it's not, then you've got a bit more degree of flexibility. And maybe, you know, the, the best headlines in the past haven't been ones you'd necessarily consider clickbait. They're, they're the puns, the ones that hook you in and get you interested. And I'd argue you can, you can get a good hook, um, a headline hook, without the need for being clickbaity. But... Again, I guess it's one of those, certainly within the industry, you know, it, it's subjective as well, because one person might write something that's a clickbaity headline and we all kind of recognise it, but another person might not go, oh, no, that's fine. Uh, and that's the importance of where, you know, we have to understand more about the the, the kind of senior levels, the, the editors and what their kind of moral compass and ethics are and company policies are with that. Um, because ultimately, if we're going to change any of this, that's where it will need to be changed. Right, so we, we just spoke to Mike and I have a couple of general questions for you all firstly. First one's a bit of a, a moral dilemma. Um, Go for it. Ooh, dangerous. So... Mike uh, discusses the, the moral dilemma of maybe being maybe a freelance journalist as himself and having the the issue of go, being part of a company that may make you ask you to maybe write an article that has a misleading headline. He mentions um, the, that, that moral dilemma of like wanting to make it big but also maybe not wanting to, to lie to viewers. So how would you how would you get around that? Like if you was put in position maybe like like that where you have to write an article that feels like they want to kind of push this misleading headline kind of angle how would you get around that what would what would you do what would be your standpoint on this I feel like you have a lot of choice of where you can work now it's not like where before it was like you could just work you you the only place you can work for really is the BBC and yeah. you've got to work for them you've got to write what you want and that, you I can't mean, say you, anything. yeah you write what they want and that's all but now you've got so many different news organisations. I think there's a line, like maybe there's some things you're uncomfortable with, but I don't know if in terms of... It's not worth losing your job over. Yeah. Like. If constantly you're asked to write articles that you're not comfortable with, I think that it shows the whole ethos of that news organisation and maybe that's not this news organisation you should be writing for. Especially as freelance, yeah. you have that choice to be like, nah, I'll take it somewhere else or I'll do another story that's my choice, go somewhere else. I feel like there's definitely more choice now. Uh, for me, it depends on what they want me to do. So it depends how misleading or how how much they want me to change my article. So let's not forget that we are freelance journalists. There's not much work out there. So when there is work opportunities, we should really be taking them. Mm. Uh, we got rents to pay. So 
It depends. If they want me to change it slightly and it doesn't affect the overall message in the story, yeah. I will I will do it. But if it fully changes the message in the story or if it misleads it completely, then no. Like what? like Chloe said, we're yeah. freelance. Do you think people choose not to do certain articles because it goes against their ethics? Or do you think it's... I, I don't I think the main reason loads of people don't... Um, decide to do certain articles it's because it goes against their ethics because that's not what they believe in so how can you write about something you don't believe in yeah like you've got to put into perspective because um yeah I think I would sort of reword the title to how I feel comfortable and how I think best fits what I'm talking about without trying to be clickbaity and everything and then if they say to change it like there might be room for like movement and improvement but at the end of the day it's your name that's being associated with that article so if you just think mm. that will go against your reputation and what your views are then I don't think I would I'd say you know what I'm happy to still work here but maybe I don't want you to put this one out because I don't feel comfortable with my name associated to that because of how it may come across to the public very true yeah no no I 100% agree with that that's like Especially with the case, like, you know, I think nowadays, as mentioned, there is a lot of, there's a a lot of different journalism organisations. There should be one that fits what you want to do and you should be able to kind of wholeheartedly be able to write articles that you see as not being misleading or anything like that. And the thing is as well, like, you know where you're applying for. You're obviously going to do some research to say you're really against the BBC and how, or you're really against the Sun and how they mislead people with articles, you're not going to apply there and want to work for them because you know that you're not going to want to do what they say in terms of headlines. I feel like I, if I'm reading an article there and I think it's dodgy, I always see it as the organisation, not as the person who's wrote it. Yeah. I mean, if I'm really annoyed about it and I read it properly and I look at it, I think, oh, why have you wrote that? But yeah. your first initial thought, if it's a bad headline, you think... Of the organisation, not, not of the, the person. The, yeah. If it was a freelancer, then it would be a different story. No, no, 100%. So I kind of want to bring this on to um, like what you guys think of misleading headlines, basically. Um, I think they definitely grab my attention. Like, I see them a lot on Facebook and obviously Snapchat. Um, it is mainly like the sun or I remember like, during covid it was like liverpool and echo kept coming up on my thing about the holidays and the green lists and all that but um it definitely like pulls you in because like, i'm quite into celebs and celeb culture and things so if it says kim kardashian's just one not one okay kim kardashian's just house has been egged and you're like, oh, who's egg team? And then it turns out she just dropped an egg on the floor. <laughs> like, I feel like now I've got a tolerance to think, mm, should I waste my time clicking on that? Because it's most likely nothing yeah. to do with what the headline says. As I say, uh, since I've been started doing journalism, I, I, read certain, um, I read certain headlines and I'm like, well, I'm not going to bother clicking on that because I mm. know it's, it's, not. it's clickbait and I know it's just not. It's and you know what? But organizations most likely yeah it's definitely a lot of those celebrity ones like they just yeah they know who's (laughs) what was that one about um the whole alec baldwin thing obviously that that horrible thing happened but then because he was in the news in the spotlight the next news article someone did was about that his cat went missing and Mm. i was like if if it wasn't for the the fact that happened to him last week that wouldn't be news it's it's all about what 
the people want to read that mm-hmm. they think the people want to read yeah personally uh i don't really go into like how amy said it is very certain organizations that do do these misleading clickbaity headlines like real organizations that like the news that i read the headline is what the article is mm. and it, that's how it goes i mean clickbait headlines is just they're, they're, for me it's quite low journalism if your story is interesting enough you don't need a clickbait headline so would we what do you guys think maybe the genre then that kind of the sort of topics of news that seem to use more often clickbait media celebrity news. yeah dinner come on definitely celeb, celeb mm. news uh celeb covid news, news. Mm, I don't know. Clickbait yeah, I headlines. think so. What? How? Like with the Amber list they, and the yeah, they know it's actually, in the lockdown main ending. Yeah, that actually reminds me of something because I was looking into some misleading headlines and what some people had kind of pointed out, and it was a lot of the time COVID articles that was mm. like it is doing that or there was one that was like those that t- that snore three times ty- <laughs> three times louder than the usual will are more likely to die from COVID. Oh, God's like sake. The headline, mm. and it was obviously something to do with respiratory problems. Oh. Yeah. But they put it out as like... If, you, yeah. if you snore, you die, yeah. Yeah, the, snore, the, there's so many, dead, so many generalisations now that people will just believe, even though it's probably nothing to do with mm. the actual problem. Yeah. And before we, we move on slightly, do we... What do you think this maybe has something to do with the internet itself? Something else I brought up to Mike was: Do you think this was has been brought on by social media and putting things out? Yeah, on social because media we're or? our own publishers, like we can distribute what we want. Yeah, and there's no like law that says you can't post that story. Like I could literally post on my blog now. Oh my god, um, I don't know. Say a TikToker, Max Beleg Day. He messaged me last night. I could fake an, uh, a message from him saying he said this, he said that when he didn't. Mm. Write it on my blog and then like it'll probably attract people and it's not true at all. Uh, I mean, I was going to say uh, there's this journalist, jo- uh, Julia Hobsworth, and she says because of increased competition, uh, corporations have to shout louder to get themselves mm. heard. So I'm pretty sure that is exactly what clickbaiting is. You're trying to get your company known through kind of lying but not really lying but playing with that misleading it just snowballs into more and more like yeah like the the louder thing like you're in a room of people and you're speaking normal level and you can do that but one person speaks louder then the next person speaks Mm -hmm. louder and suddenly you're really loud and you don't even need to be that loud it just it gets out of hand basically Okay, great. So I'm just going to make you listen to a little bit, a bit more of Mike's interview. Okay. For um, a bit that he mentioned on um, about telling the public sort of thing. So I'm going to play that next. Um, so I just want to take this on to the the fact that you've done some freelance journalism. So has this been more of a personal thing that you've just wrote your own articles, or have you ever worked for certain organisations at all? Um. I've always kind of gone with the mentality of like, if I'm going to write something, certainly on a freelance journalism basis or produce some content, it's on my terms. Um, so it's something I want to do. It's something I'm interested to do. And then obviously you, you shop it around and see if people want want it. And, you know, there are times where from an ethics point of view, you know, I've kind of taken the money and run, but I've had to do some soul searching in the process. And I do wonder if enough either full-time or freelancers 
question that sometimes. I know, like, to sell something to the Daily Mail when you know damn well that the Daily Mail are, are certainly one of those publications that are well known and established for clickbait. And you think, well, do I really want my work to be associated with it? But then it comes down to the professional development. And, you know, one of the things is you can produce all this kind of content that you want to and put it out there for free. But where the validity comes in is when you actually start getting paid for the work. Mm -hmm. That's when you kind of, you know, your credentials as a freelancer um, are kind of cemented. So, yeah, I mean, I've had issues with it before. I've had issues with people stealing my work and then, you know, just like, oh, we're so sorry. And I did I did wonder about that because I, I had it with a, a big organisation. Again, I don't necessarily mention their name of it, but they're, they're, they're highly local. And by the time they got around to taking down the thing they'd taken without even asking permission, let alone paying for it, uh, the damage is already done because it's been seen by millions of people. That's that's terrible. I can't believe something like that would happen. So they just kind of took your work without even telling you and just yeah, published it, it themselves. And it happens all the time. Um, and that's why you find, certainly in, the, in terms of the lifestyle of a freelancer, it can be quite demoralising because you're like, look, I put my soul, uh, heart and effort into this or I've done something that I think will be of public interest and it's quite important and somebody's taken it made a load of money off it and then not paid me for it and then when i've caught them they're they're not even willing to compensate or anything like that and again you know you look at this from a professional point of view we know it happens all the time whether or not it's discussed all the time is that there's another matter but joe public doesn't know any of this i don't know these things go on like some of them will but i generally say that like when it comes to the publishing industry and, and journalism as a whole as a profession I don't think Joe Public really understands all the mechanical workings of it certainly um, in, in terms of just the trust element let alone the financial things and how work um, takes place within the media and how that, that kind of goes I mean one of the things that always annoys me and my pet hate is when people refer to the media it's just like as if it's some sort of cabal kind of structure with <laughs> you know people in cloaks and daggers sat around a thing generating the news agenda what they don't realize is as a consumer of media they're the ones that are actually driving the agenda for what gets published and what doesn't and you know but we don't tell them that <laughs> you know no. is it any wonder then everybody thinks is it's a sinister cabal and i'm like you know, when you refer to the media and how the certainly in negative context, when you refer to the media, people are like, oh, the media is bad. It's this, it's this, and this. And it's just like, well, you know, the guy that sits in a television studio or behind a camera, he's a media worker. He's part of the media. What? Is he a bad person because he works in the industry? Of course not. <laughs> you know, it's, and that's, that's kind of the crazy environment we're, we're really in with it all. But as you said, I think a main issue of that is because that it's not mentioned to the public. A lot of them aren't aware that what happens behind the scenes and maybe that's something that needs to be discussed more openly, like what goes into creating the content they consume and how their role, um, what their role is in creating that, I think. Yeah, for sure. It's 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 something that will inevitably have to happen. And it, 
it needs to happen on a consistent basis where it's not just a case of we only sort of slightly talk about these things when it, there's a, a major scandal like the phone hacking thing in the news of the world stuff. I mean, uh, I don't know if you remember that, but obviously that was a situation where the industry was called into question. There was this talk about a rural charter, which never really happened. And the funny thing with that is that everybody boycotted the news of the world. So they shut it down and it became the sun on Sunday. So all, all they did was move the staff into a newly promoted branded company, but it was still doing the same content and still mm -hmm. same practices. And, and there was no scrutiny for it. I mean, here's the thing, right? As journalists, our duty, um, first and foremost, is, is the fourth estate, is to hold power to account. Um, but who holds us to account? Because it doesn't feel like, even with the NUJ and, and stuff like that, it doesn't seem like there's, I don't even think it needs to go far as regulatory bodies, but just that desire and thirst to have an open conversation with people about how just, like, just how the media actually works. <laughs> So we just heard off Mike. Uh, what's everyone's thoughts on this then? I completely agree with him. Honest to God, I think. Uh, but, but at the same time, why should it be the public's? Uh, why should the public have to know everything behind the media? All they really want, it's. I mean, in a way, media. I know it's informative, but it's also entertaining. You know, you don't want to know how a TV, how a movie is made. You just want I to do. watch the movie. You just want to watch the movie. Say, to, <laughs> to argue with you there, Sam, but no, you would. Apart, maybe not journalism itself. I think in a, a possible way, um, in a film point of view, I like hearing. <laughs> I like hearing well, how it's made. Maybe yeah. not the full fledged like no. oh, we had to get the finances. Like I, I okay, disagree. Okay, okay. Yeah, but I don't think so, everyone wants to see how it's made. I'm not that interested to see how it's made. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you. Well, that's well, that's what I'm trying to say. Is okay. Maybe the movie was a bad example, but. People just want to read the article. People oh, I know. Don't I know, know. I know. I know. But you want a coffee from Starbucks. You don't know how it's made. You just want to. You want to drink it. But yeah, I do think that the media has a moral compass as well because, like you were saying about obviously people behind the scenes. Do you remember that um, football match? Not too long ago when someone had a heart attack on the pitch yeah. and the camera guy filmed in uh, zoomed in on the guy having a heart attack he didn't pan somewhere else so like he's a media guy in the background he's still true has he chose to hone in on that rather than have some respect for the situation and think oh we don't need to film that some guy's literally having a heart attack on the pitch i guess there's a lot of people i mean obviously it was the the camera when it did that but it's also the producers behind the screen decided yeah. let's keep it on air they yeah. could have clicked off it they could have like he's pointing to still the camera he's still pointing to the camera but they could have just switched it off about you know even yeah. knowing. so but i guess it's a collective in a way yeah um it's all part of a team to distribute it's sort of like a singer like we just see them and their songs but there's writers there's managers like they're all part of that team still and how they come across but it's um you only see that one person at the front in our case it's the journalist reporting on whatever with a clickbait headline mm -hmm. sam do you want to go back on to your point about like not everyone being interested in yeah so I'll, I'll, like how mike was saying uh people don't know the full background of how so oh they just say the media and he was trying to say that just by saying the media, you cover way too many parts of the media. 
like journalism, radio, all of them together, broadcast all of them as one, the media. But to me, as a reader, that is the media. You know, I, I don't want, I'm not trying to distinguish one from another. They are all the same to me. They're all informative and entertaining. And that means that I can put them all under the same thing, the media. So mm. honestly, I don't think people do care about the behind the background stuff. They just want the final product without knowing any of the production. There's There's a lot of people that just share articles without even reading it. So now Facebook and Twitter have got a, a feature that says, are you sure you want to oh, share yeah. this? Um, mm -hmm. And it says, have you read through this before you share it? Because so many people just see the headline and they're like, oh, I'll share that. Even though it might be the most clickbait headline ever. And then people they've shared it to will read it exactly the same, discuss about that and not even really know the, the real facts inside that article. Yeah, like even me and my friends do it sometimes. Like we'll see something on Snapchat say, a headline like Molly May's house. Well, obviously that was true, got broken into, but say <laughs> Molly May's going on the jungle. And we're like, oh my God, did you see Molly May's going in the jungle? And then we're like, yeah, but did you actually read it? Like, mm, they declined. It's a rumor yeah. A source, an, ins an outside source. Yeah. yeah. She, yeah. She's not going in the actual jungle, guys. She's yeah, like, she just she went and visited jungle the print. jungle. Yeah. She's, got a she's jungle going in the jungle. <laughs> what a drive. <laughs> jungle print, cow. But the, the Facebook thing, that's actually another thing that like, yeah, might kind of, mentioned about um especially in his household and i think i can say the same because i have it in my house where people will just mention the headline of something and then it's like oh um it, it says that it's usually come on let's be honest it's usually the like the, the sun yeah. or something <laughs> on facebook that's all i ever see on facebook is mm. like the sun and stuff and it's like some really weird headline and the article's got like nothing to do with it and mm. it's just like have you actually looked into your sources for this mm. or are you just the thing like, is though i still read them sometimes but i just take it with a pinch of salt and mm -hmm. think yeah. like okay that might not be true like mm. it, your source isn't very reliable mm. at that point though could you argue that maybe they've already um kind of hooked you in in a sense yeah. like they don't care that you don't have any interest in the article you've already pressed on it so they've yeah they got, got the click their, yeah their, their, their click a lot yeah. of the time since the the dawn of social media um a lot of articles and things it's about what online it's about getting those clicks you know they need people to press on the articles and i guess now to do that it has become misleading clickbaity headlines like it's a youtube video in a sense yeah so that was our episode on misleading and clickbait headlines as you heard there is a lot to consider and discuss for the community of journalism next episode will be hosted by chloe tong where she'll be discussing moral panic during the petrol shortage i was your host megan smith Thank you.